in the squadron. They called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Whoops. A little bit behind schedule, but I'm here. I'm here. And everybody, everybody needs to either cancel their subscription to the New York Times, call them up, tell them, screw you and your paper. Uh, I don't know if you heard about this, but they did a nasty, nasty hit job on our beloved Bernard McGurk. An obituary in the New York Times. Used to be, I mean, the obituaries, they kind of toned it down a notch. They played it straight in the obituaries, but... This one is hate-filled. Oh, my gosh. You know, everyone has had some uh, ups and downs in life, but boy, oh, boy, do they make such a big, big, big deal about that thing, you know, with Imus 15 years ago. Who's the reporter? Ed Shanahan. What a jerk. And this is the, um, it's so vile. It's so nasty. And I think it's the kind of nastiness that comes from some sort of deep, personal, animus that this guy has against Bernard. Really deep, really personal. And I'm I'm assuming that Ed Shanahan is a Irish guy. You know, and like somehow it's even I don't know, like you you're you're from the same ethnicity and only okay, I'm gonna do this because only only another white Irish guy can do it like I can do it. There's something weird going on here. The beloved Bernard McGurk, big, big piece in the New York Times, and it's nasty as hell. As Mark said, he, they weaponized the obituary column. I understand they weaponized the front page a long time. I mean, literally weaponized it. There might have been no war in Iraq if it wasn't for the New York Times giving its blessing and green light. Oh, yeah, they stirred the pot big time, facilitated uh, the lies about weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Oh, boy, they did. And now this. Who needs that paper? You know, I'm, I, I technically I do have a subscription. I don't get the paper paper anymore. Who does? But I have it digitally, and I almost never look at it. Uh, and and now this. So goodbye, New York Times. You're uh, you're terrible. You're mean. You are fake news. Uh, didn't have to be this way. You went crazy. I know people over there who work there are scared to death of the woke mob that's running the place. Uh, the woke mob is in charge. And I, I don't mean they, they aren't necessarily senior vice presidents and the CEO. The CEO is some weird, weird dude. Uh, rich kid. Definitely a rich kid. He posed for these magazine pictures on the floor in like this uh, weird kind of Playboy style. I mean like Playboy Playmate style and he's on the he's on the ground posing like a Playboy Playmate but he has a scowl on his face. Totally strange guy. But these people at the top live in fear of their woke um reporters. Big time. Big time. And they are so scared of ending up on the wrong side of some young Racial, social justice activists with an attitude. Okay, they can they can bring down an entire empire if they want to, and they're running scared. Uh, their empire, not ours. Well, ours is actually in in a bit of trouble. It's in a little bit of trouble. I, I I'm not. I don't know what's going to. You know what? We're going to be great. All the eggheads who follow politics uh, day in and day out. The you know the the real political nerds. 
They are telling me that um, it looks like a red tsunami. However, at the same time, I heard this from somebody. You know, you heard about the red wave, the red tsunami. Is it going to be a red wave? It's going to be a red wave, but you need a surfboard. <laughs> you need a surfboard. And there are, some, there are some races in play that nobody's talking about. There's a woman named Levy running in Connecticut. She could beat Blumenthal. Does she have a surfboard, though? Is there enough money? Is the ad, are the ads on TV 24-7? Is there a get-out-to-vote effort? GOTV, I think they call it. She has a real uh, shot. It looks like Ned Lamont is in trouble. And we know Kathy Hochul is in serious, serious trouble, as she should be. I think she might be a psychopath, quite frankly. I think there's something wrong with her. We're talking total screw loose. You know, for a long time, for the past year or so, oh, nice-looking woman, she dresses well, she's slim, you know, seems to be fine, I guess. Nobody really pays much attention to uh, the governor. Um, But times like this, we're looking at everything, and we're looking at her. And she's all waving the hand like she's the Queen of England, totally oblivious to our problems, and Zeldin right now is tied in the polls. That, what do they call it, the Rose Garden strategy did not work Lee Zeldin may be the Republican, the first one in nearly 30 years to take Albany, the governorship, away from a Democrat. Has not been done since George Pataki beat Mario Cuomo in 1994. This could be awesome. This could be really awesome. And it's so deserved. How do you defend what's going on? How do you vote Democrat? A lot of them are so, uh, they've been misinformed, they've been lied to. Because everybody understands crime is out of control, but they'll say things like, well, I, I just, I, I, I can't, you know, abortion is so important to me. And, oh, January 6th, I, believe it or not, I, I met somebody in real life who mentioned something about January 6th. I, it's like, excuse me? Gen- okay. I showed them all the videos, you know, the video of the cop waving people in, of the cops just standing there, of the cops walking away before Ashley Babbitt. I don't know. I may have uh, I may have made her change her mind. She was kind of stunned after I showed her all this evidence. She's like, "Well, have you told this to the January sixth committee? <laughs> like, like I'm the only one who has this. It, it, it's everywhere. Uh, people choose to ignore it. The January sixth committee chooses to ignore it. Uh, anyway, that's uh, it's going to be it's going to be. Oh, did you see Joe Biden uh, over the weekend? What did he do? He had a couple of really strange moments. One. He's licking that ice cream cone. He's got a gigantic ice cream cone. And, and yeah, I don't think a grown man should be eating ice cream cone in business attire unless they're surrounded by grandkids and they just came from church. Something along those lines. I mean, what? Uh, all right, wait. He just came from church and he was surrounded by grandkids? I, I don't know. Joe Biden should not be eating ice cream. It's a gigantic ice cream cone, and he's licking it like, screw you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a care in the world. What's your problem? Telling us how the economy is. This is like a Mike Brown moment. Remember that, Brownie? Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. And Joe Biden says the economy is strong strong as hell while he's licking an ice cream cone. Cut four. I'm not concerned about the defense of the dollar. I'm concerned about the rest of the world. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. Wait, stop it for a second. Can you hear that? It sounds terrible. Ay, ay, ay. All right, let me hear the rest. No. I'm not concerned about the defense of the dollar. I'm concerned about the rest of the world. Does that make sense? The hell? Yes. Our economy is strong as hell. 
the internals. Inflation is worldwide. Economy is strong as hell. As he's licking an ice cream cone. I feel like Ralph Cramden when he got all hot and mad at uh, Ed Norton, who was sleepwalking and eating a banana. (laughs) He never had it so good. He eats, sleeps, and exercises all at the same time. It's, It's really, but this is even worse. Now, we have a major, major problem on our hands, and it's been in plain sight. It's amazing what people will cover up, what they'll choose to ignore, and how they'll, you know, falsely point the finger at somebody for what is happening right in front of their face. Now, Joe Biden, again, touched a young girl. She must be 18, 17 years old and gave her, I think, the worst advice one could give her. Listen to this. Remember, he's touching her. She doesn't want anything to do with him. She's giving every nonverbal cue, like, leave me alone. It's actually a very strange video. It's like, (laughs) I don't know what they're looking at, but the girl's have no interest in him whatsoever, and he's like in the back of the crowd. Uh, but listen to what he says. Cut three. Look at him. Now, very important thing I told my daughter and granddaughters, no serious guys in your 30s. Okay. Right? <laughs> no what? No serious guys to your 30s. We'll keep that in mind. <laughs> we'll keep that in mind. Leave me alone. <laughs> now, let's just break down that. It, it, it's so, it's so strange. We have, it's funny. And you know what? All right, I know you don't like him. I defend Andrew Cuomo, and he did a lot of bad things, and I wanted them out. I wanted them out with the COVID, the patients in the nursing home, the $5 million book deal, those legitimate issues. Get him out. I wanted them gone. I was probably the first to call for his ouster, but not for touching girls because he didn't touch any girls, but this guy's doing it. He's pawing them and offering gross information. What does that mean, by the way? No serious guys until you're 30. Well, what the hell does that mean? Be promiscuous in your 20s? Well, what is he saying to these young women? By the way, you know, if women who wait till they're 30 to get married, I mean, like it's, uh, I think you got to get married to the right person. Sow your wild oats. Is that the message, Joe? Did that uh, help Hunter? Did that help Ashley Biden? Your daughter? They both have very serious problems. Sorry, they do. It's true. It's out there. You can look it up. I know Ashley uh, was fooling around in her 20s. Hey, as a guy who fooled around in his 20s, let me tell you, it's no way to live. Why is Joe Biden recommending that nobody get uh, serious until they're 30? Joe Biden got married when he was 25. Joe Biden got married when he was 25. He was a... He was pretty serious about his life. He got elected to the U.S. Senate at 29. Where does he get off telling these people how to live their private life? Hey, fix the economy. Don't lose wars, okay? We know both are apparently beyond you or possibly against your personal interests. So um, you just you just be you. And uh, I think we're going to have a – we're going to be really, really great – the day after Election Day. Uh, early voting starts pretty soon. And uh, should I early vote? I got to find out about all that stuff. I am. Please join me and vote. We got to vote for Zeldin. There's no reason on earth to vote for Kathy Hochul. And now with this casino thing, uh, this is why I say she's a bit of a psychopath. This looks like overt corruption. This looks like open and shut um, corruption to me. And she's going to get 
she's going to get nailed. She's going to get nailed. You cannot do this in America. You cannot give a a multi-million dollar, $30 million contract to some guy who just gave you $300,000. We have rules, laws, and regulations against this stuff. We've got watchdog groups. We've got, and it happened. It absolutely happened. But since she looks good in a pantsuit, she's slim or something like that. Everybody thinks that, oh, yeah, they're just going to go with the flow. Don't do it. Tell your friends it's important. And, oh, by the way, if abortion is your big issue, um, there's always going to be abortion in New York. There's always going to be abortion in New York. I don't like it. but And you know who accepts that? Lee Zeldin. He said he would not and he could not change that law. Go, Lee Zeldin. We need you. Our lives depend on it. We'll be right back. Greg Kelly Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh, Back. Hello. Yes, 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 indeed. Uh, So, Herschel Walker did amazingly well on Friday night. Yes, he's not the most polished guy in the world, but uh, he's authentic. He's real. He definitely had a command of the issues. He's going to vote in the right way. I love the guy. The moderators were totally out of control. Uh, put that prop away. Put that away. Put that away. What He took out his wallet at one point. Relax. He just took out of it. They went nuts. Now, they uh, they they asked him all about Herschel Walker, you know, oh, the abortion thing. Uh, oh, you're uh, you, apparently you're, you know, got a hot temper with your ex-wife and all this stuff. They didn't ask Warnock about the time he ran over his wife's foot. I think that was, um, I think, Actual violence, actual, that's on police body cam footage, not just on some Democrat Party blog. That's more relevant. So uh, interesting debate. He did very, very well. Herschel Walker, though, he's got some weird, I don't know who's advising him. He went on the uh, Kristen Welker report show. What is she on NBC? She is. She's totally fake news and sits down with him for an hour. Uh, Fine. He did fine. Uh, what they did, though, you know, the abortion allegation is that he paid for a woman's abortion back in 2009. Yet they don't show us the check and they don't don't so show us the receipt for the abortion. Apparently, these things exist. The Daily Beast had the story, what, two weeks ago now? And uh, they don't provide it. But they've seen it. They've shown it to everybody else, but they don't show it to us. Kristen Welker says, we've seen it. We're not going to show it to you, but we're going to show it to Herschel Walker. Why not? Why aren't they going to show it to us? Two reasons. Number one, they're fakes. Number two, um, they just want to drag this out. Something tells me that before Election Day, uh, we'll all see this, okay? It's going to be made available somehow. Uh, So you make a, you know, one-day story into a two-day story, a one-week story into a two-week story, a three-week story, all the way to Election Day. It ain't going to work. The people are fed the hell up. Hey, one thing that was interesting, you've heard about, uh, uh, what is it, Jim Crow doesn't have anything on the election law. This is, Jim Crow looks like Jim Eagle compared to what they're doing now and whatever that even means. They're saying that the new Georgia voting law makes it harder than ever for African-American people to vote. It is uh, a total lie, by the way, and it was kind of a curious moment, came up in that debate. That in the primary, more people voted than ever before. More African-American people voted than ever before. How does that comport with your party's uh, 
constantly saying this uh, Jim Eagle thing. Well, they were lying about that. You go through that law. It's not that hard to go through. It's very, very reasonable. But they intimidated private companies like Pepsi-Cola. I don't know if, was it Pepsi or Coke? Coke. Coke. Coke is in Atlanta. Let me be crystal clear. This, is, this law is against our, our company values. This is Coca-Cola. They have some British guy in charge of it. Company value. What the hell values does Coca-Cola have? That stuff is poison, by the way. That stuff is terrible for you. And all their other uh, beverages, you know, they make a million different things. They make certain brands of orange juice, which you, oh, by the way, may want to avoid. Number one, it's crazy expensive now. Number two, it's all sugar. There are like two things you should drink, water and maybe tea or coffee. That's it. I'm going to drink a hell of a lot more water this week. I noticed I'm not drinking enough. I'm going to be drinking more. Hey, here's something also that I learned at that debate. What is the number one cause of death? For black teenagers. Think about it for a moment, huh? What do you think it is? Homicide. Can you believe that? Homicide. Homicide. And it's black teenagers killing other black teenagers. This must be part of the national conversation. I'll be back. Greg Kelly. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. You know, I mentioned... uh, the unbelievable and unspoken uh, a crazy homicide problem in among African-American men. It is out of control, totally out of control, but totally unremarked upon as we feast on this um, fantasy, this myth of the threat posed by law enforcement. Uh, totally not true. And then there is this. Daniel Patrick Moynihan, man, we had a giant in the United States Senate. I mean, a significant. Woo. Who do we have now again? Wait a second. Oh, yeah. Gillibrand and, uh, and Schumer. You hang around long enough, and I guess ultimately you, uh, you're in charge. Is that, that how it works? Listen to this from Newsweek. Moynihan famously focused much of his Moynihan report, which he did under the, for the Nixon administration about 50 years ago, He focused that report on the problem of children being raised without a stable family structure. When the Moynihan Report was published, 25% of black children were born out of wedlock, which at the time seemed catastrophic. By the mid-1980s, that percentage had doubled, and it has hovered around 70% since the mid-1990s. In 2019, nearly two-thirds, 64% of black children were living in single-parent households. But another equally important finding in the report was within many black families, the roles of men and women were reversed. Moynihan argued that the black community was locked in a matriarchal structure that imposed a crushing burden on black men while also depriving them of the authority they needed to lead. I'm reading this from Newsweek right now. Um... This, it turned out, was a crucial insight, though like the rest of the report, it has been ignored. Moynihan's characterization of black family dynamics as a tangle of pathology led liberals, then and now, to dismiss the entire report as a racist attempt to blame black people for their social condition. The truth is more complex. Many black men, then and now, do an admirable job of providing for and protecting their families, But there are also entire neighborhoods in some cities where it is rare to find a black child living in a home with his married biological parents. 
For the most part, women in these communities are married to the government at both the federal and state levels, which plays the role of husband and father. Democratic elected officials and unelected bureaucrats promise and provide food, shelter, health care, and child care to millions of low-income black women and their children. But while this began as a solution to certain problems within these communities, it has had the unintended effect of exacerbating them. The Democratic Party's subversion of male responsibility and authority within the home has made it increasingly antagonistic toward men and the traditional family structure. President Obama was routinely criticized by his liberal black base whenever he promoted marriage and fatherhood in speeches to black audiences. By the way, he barely ever did that because he was slapped around so much. So he would do it once and then wait a couple of years and do it again and then get slapped around. He never led on that issue. Never. Since then, those progressive critics have become the official voice of the party. The 2020 Democratic Party platform did not contain a single reference to the importance of marriage and the nuclear family. It also contained no reference to God, by the way. The left's detachment of parenting from marriage is not confined to elected officials. Most people associate Black Lives Matter with criminal justice reform, yet none of its 13 founding principles mention police brutality. The co-founders were clear, however, about their desire to disrupt the nuclear family. The media has joined hands with activists and the Democratic Party in this regard as well. Several years ago, an MSNBC roundtable discussion featured three black professors who dismissed people advocating marriage and responsible fatherhood as believers in the magical black father myth, while Hall of Fame NFL coach Tony Dungy was, is it Doug, he's a nice guy, by the way, was harshly critical for appearing with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in April to promote a responsible fatherhood initiative. Democrats and their media supporters are not completely misandrist. I don't know what that word means. Hold on a second. Misandrist. Misandrist. Misandry is the hatred of contempt for or prejudice against men. Did you ever hear about this? Through a series of books published in the 2000s and 2010s, religious scholars Paul Nathanson and Catherine Young argue that misandry (laughs) is commonly seen in North America and the demonization of men as a result of women exercising power through feminism. Nathanson and Young give as examples many cultural tropes that diminish men. Misandry. Never, ever heard of it. You hear of it? No. Black men who identify as part of the LGBTQ community are welcomed allies in the party's war against traditional masculinity. But black heterosexual men who are given a platform must demonstrate fealty to the matriarchy and radical gender politics. This guy is good, by the way. Thus, New York City Mayor Eric Adams declared that drag queens are an integral part of of the education of school children. You remember that? This is the guy that all the socialites told me, oh, he seems so reasonable. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Louisiana Senate candidate Gary Chambers told young black men at an HBCU, historically black college and university, they should support abortion on demand. Like his female counterparts, he promotes the destruction of black life in the womb with much more passion than marriage and stable family formation. 
you know, this is the kind of, these words are so important. And that's why the left goes totally freaking crazy. They hate this stuff. Hate it. Ooh, they get mad. Where's that guy on, uh, who's that guy on Sirius Radio is always giving me a hard time. I got to, maybe just call in and, and read this. Given all this, it might be surprising that only 20% of black men have defected to the Republican Party, which can only be explained by the Democrats' claim to be the only viable party on race. The left sells itself as the guardian against the ever-present threat of Jim Crow and his offspring, Jim Crow Esquire, Jim Eagle, and Jimmy Crow. The cynical manipulation of America's bloody racial history for the sake of political loyalty, a phenomenon I call the Selma Syndrome, is one of the strongest forces holding black voters in place right now. But BLM's alleged financial mismanagement helped many black men realize that our deaths are being used as raw material for the less pursuit of political power and financial gain. I'll give you the name of the author in a moment. Uh, he's uh, He is a black man. Democrats can feel their grip slipping. People who use their platforms to decry masculinity can't also claim to care about men. The Moynihan Report included a quote from Dorothy Height, pre- former president of the National Council of Negro Women. That's what it was called back then, everybody. That still holds true today. If the black woman has a major underlying concern, it is the status of the black man and his position in the community and his need for feeling himself an important person, free and able to make his contribution in the whole society in order that he may strengthen his home. Okay, they're losing me a little bit, I got to admit. Uh, <laughs> let me just go to um, an MSNBC host recently admonished black men who are reluctant to support Stacey Abrams to get in line behind the black women who do. This has been the less perspective for decades. Black women lead, black men follow. Wow. But in this world where black women don their capes to save democracy, black men are relegated to damsels in distress. No wonder we're defecting. Many of us want to build and lead families of our own, not be mothered by women who didn't birth us. Wow. This guy's name is... Delano Squires, he is a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation's DeVos Center for Life, Religion, and Family. Well, he's on to something big time, wouldn't you say? I'd like to know more. I'd like to uh, get my hands on that Moynihan report. I've heard about it from time to time. Um, We do have a major cultural problem in America. We all do. We all do. When the president of the United States encourages young girls to have sex in their 20s instead of getting married, yeah, I think that we have a cultural problem. <laughs> so we have, it's multifaceted. But this guy is pretty amazing. I've never really thought about it in those terms. So, um, but black men are leaving the Republican Party. And that's pretty wild. Terry in... The Heights, the Heights, as in Washington Heights, where are you? Yes, Washington Heights. Good morning, Greg. How are you? Good morning. Regarding the paper the paper that Daniel Patrick Moynihan wrote years ago, he wrote it as a, what motivated him to write that was his own father and his own community. The Irish-American community had the same problems the black American community has now, fatherlessness, our biggest culprit was alcoholism 
His father did what was called the Irish divorce. You're Irish too, I assume. Kelly, of course. My my mom knew your dad. Uh, they they split. The Irishmen split because they were alcoholics. George Carlin's father split just in the middle of the night. Daniel Patrick Moynihan's father split due to alcoholism. In Ireland, for centuries, it wasn't uncommon for women to raise children alone because Irish men fought the Brits. For centuries, they were uprising and they were killed, hanged, put to death, etc., incarcerated, whatever. But he wrote that the motivation of his to write that paper way back in, I believe, the 60s was his own upbringing. He saw fatherless children in Hell's Kitchen growing up where my father was raised because men split did the Irish divorce where they were dead. They drank themselves to death because of alcoholism. And, of course, there was gangsterism, too, in those communities, all the Irish communities, whether it be Southie or Hell's Kitchen, and many of them went to prison. So we had the same problem as black America. That's my point. And it has, unfortunately, you know, there's a race industry now. People are getting rich peddling this hopelessness in 2022 in America. It's a real shame because it's, it's more... There's a lot, there, accountability is never really brought, in, brought into play, unfortunately, because people are getting rich. You know, the, the, the Benjamin Krupps of the world and, and the Al Sharp. Hey, man, listen, uh, all this stuff all is fascinating. No, look, fascinating. I didn't know that about Daniel Patrick Moynihan. I'm looking it up right now. The only Irishman I know where the father just checked out was Jackie Gleason. Jackie Gleason's dad just disappeared one night, and uh, yeah, they had the two you know, children. I couldn't believe it. When you're telling me this was a common thing back then, and uh, but there's hope. I mean, look, if you're telling me what if, if that I've heard some of that before, but let's face it, Irish men got their act together in America. No you, question. And there's we, so we've you can change. Come a long way. You can change the culture. You can change it, um, and maybe. Look, if you look at that figure, 70% of black children in, in in families without a father, that's crazy. And that's most likely there's a, something cultural going on. I don't think you can pass a law. I don't think we need another federal department. There's something cultural. Let me ask you this, and I should know. How did, how did we Irish people fix this? What, 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 what happened? I think just... You know, it's a very good question. Uh, We came over in large uh, numbers in the 1840s due to Angorta Moore, the great starve. And for a long time, we did not have our act together. If you know Jason Riley, I believe his name is, the conservative writer, it took the Irish. The Irish were the longest ethnic group to escape poverty in America. It took us about five generations for the majority of us to live above the poverty line. That's all the way to say John Kennedy being elected. It took a long time. Alcoholism was our uh, Achilles heel, if you want to call it that. All right, hold on here. John Henry Moynihan was Daniel Patrick Moynihan's father. Uh, oh, Moynihan, who sounds like he's from, uh, I couldn't never figure out where what that accent sounded like. It was very unique. Bep, 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 bep. But he was born in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the son of Margaret Ann, a homemaker, and John Henry Moynihan, a reporter for a daily newspaper in Tulsa, but originally from Indiana, he moved at the age of six with his Irish Catholic family to New York uh, to New York City. Let me see here. The father, uh, attended city. Ah, yes, Moynihan grew up largely in New York City. The family plunged into poverty and moved to New York when Moynihan's father abandoned them. 
How do you do that? How do you do that? Hey, man, fascinating stuff. Terry, what do you do? Me? You know, I, I, I work. All right, we'll leave it at that. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. <laughs> we'll be right back. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, let's check in on Marjorie Taylor Greene, one of my favorites, Republican from Georgia. Now, she's uh, running against some some guy. I think his big claim to fame is he wears a cowboy hat. All right. Oh, must be a good old boy. He's wearing a cowboy hat. I don't think that's going to fool anybody. But here's Marjorie Taylor Greene in the debate. And one of the moderators uh, tries a little stunt. Let's uh, let's see how it all goes down. All right. This is to uh, Marjorie Taylor, Taylor Greene there. Uh, you're well known for making controversial statements. Detail your process for vetting and fact-checking your statements that you make in public and post to social media. Can you tell me what's controversial controversial about defending this, the freedom of speech or what's controversial about um, defending our border or saying we need to... What, can you tell me, give me an example? No, you do this every time we have a debate where you ask, I ask a, a question that's obvious and you're like, what you mean? You were kicked off of your committees for saying things were controversial. You've apologized for controversial statements, right? Those types of things. What is your process for fact-checking and vetting the things that you say in public? I, the, the things I say in public are the truth, and that's why they're so offensive to Democrat activists in the media just like you. And you're asking me a blanket question with no example. I stand by the things that I say. I stand by saying that we need to secure our border, that we need to protect all of our freedoms and our rights, that we need to stop the America last Democrat communist policies that are destroying our country. I stand by the words that I say. They're just offensive to Washington, D.C. and the swamp creatures there because the words that I speak are the same as as Americans back home, the same as people in Georgia's 14th district. And the words that I speak are the truth. And you want to know something, Josh? Sometimes the truth hurts. And Washington deserves to hear it. We're over $31 trillion in debt. Our government has failed the American people. And right now, this administration has us on the verge of a nuclear war with Russia, where they care more about funding a war in Ukraine than they care about protecting Americans, helping homeless people on the streets, and securing our border and stopping fentanyl from killing young people in America. Ah, damn! <laughs> very, very awesome. Thank you, Marjorie Taylor Greene, for that. Uh, what, what was his original question? What is your process for fact-checking everything you say? <laughs> what are you talking? People say stuff. People have a general sense of what's going on, and then they say something. Fact-checking. Fact. How do you <laughs> fact-check all your poses? Something like that. Would 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 he ever have asked that of Eddie of Joe Biden? By the way, <laughs> okay, who gets caught in lies, fantasies, uh, gross comments toward little girls? Uh, all right. Hey, this is the thing I was talking about with Herschel Walker. They tried a little. Well, he just took out his wallet at one point, and everybody loses their mind. Cut 53. I've never pretended to be a police officer. And, and, That's and Walker. I've never, I've never threatened a shootout with the police. 
Well, and now I have to respond to that. We are, we are, we are no, moving no, no, on, no. gentlemen. I have to respond to that. And you know what's so funny? I am work with many police officers, <laughs> and at the same time, Mr. Walker, Mr. Walker, no, 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 Mr. Walker, no, no. Mr. Walker, Mr. Walker, excuse me, truth, Mr. Walker, please, out of respect, truth, truth I, I, I need here. to let you know, Mr. Yes. Walker, you are very well yes. aware of the rules tonight, Yes. and you have a prop. Yes. That is not allowed, sir. Yes. I ask you to put that prop away. Well, it's not a prop. It, it, this is real. And he said, I but, have a problem. I never worked with law enforcement. It is considered a prop, Mr. Walker. Yes. Excuse me, sir. Yes. You're very well aware of the rules, aren't you? Well, aren't he, you aware of he the rules? brought up the truth. Well, Let's talk about the truth. Very condescending, this lady. Away. And as a matter of fact, we still have a lot to get to. He's allowed to take something out of his pocket. That's not a prop. It's not like he brought in an oversized, uh, you know, it, it wasn't like a a teddy bear that said, uh, let's go Brandon on it or something like that. It was his wallet. He has a badge. It's fine, especially when they bring it up. And he calls, the other guy calls him a fake cop. You he, he didn't claim to be a cop. Those honorary badges exist. And he got one. Good for Herschel. He's going to win. He's going to win. All right, I got to go in a minute. Sandra, what's up? I just wanted to say welcome back. Um, I'm on the Peloton bike, so I won't talk long. I, you know, I was, I was thinking how if someone spectacular came to my state like Dr. Oz and offered to help our state become greater, I wouldn't care that he didn't live here. Who cares? He would learn it in no time because he's so smart. Well, right? you're uh, number one. You got to remember, though, he lives in Pennsylvania. You know, it's a, it's a country. People move. He's had family there for uh, centuries, his, uh, his wife's family. He grew up right next door in Wilmington, which is like literally you could throw a rock and hit Pennsylvania. And he went to school there. So it's all nonsense. I think he's going to win. But you're right. If somebody shows up, uh, yeah, Pennsylvania, Vermont. You know, what about America? I want Dr. Roz to work for America, and he will. He's going to win. He's going to win if you guys get out there and help him. Thank you, Sandra. Very impressed with the Peloton situation. I'll be back. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, hey, Fauci only has a few more weeks left on the job. He wants to get the hell out of there before the Republicans take over and uh, they'll officially take over. Everything goes according to plan in January. And whether he's in government or out of government, uh, he is going to be called to Capitol Hill to testify because, folks, uh, he did a lot of bad things. We all know it. And um, the mainstream media has a big had a big role in all this because they propped him up that some unelected bureaucrat who, by the way, is not the nation's top infectious disease expert. This guy is an administrator and but he loved the publicity, didn't he? Remember, he was starring in his own movie. He starred in a movie about himself in the middle of the pandemic. That's right up there with Andrew Cuomo writing a book about how well he handled the pandemic in the middle of the pandemic. And now that he's on his way out, he's uh, talking to the friendly fake news and uh, trying to say what a great job he did. Uh, even they kind of are a little bit, well, what about the time you said such and such? And what about the time? Uh, cut seven. So what's the biggest misconception about you? You know, I don't know, John. I think the misconception is that I was misleading people. You know, to say that I, who have been advised at a seven presidents, 
and have never, ever veered one way or the other from an ideological standpoint. For somebody to say that, you know, I'm political. Yeah, political. I mean, that's completely crazy. Uh, this is what's known as gaslighting, folks. <laughs> Complete, it's completely crazy to say a guy like Fauci is political. How do you think he stayed in office all those years, by the way? Okay, at that very top uh, position. Uh, he's got political instincts. Oh, yes, he does. And he was playing footsie and trying to trip up Trump. And oh, by the way, he was wrong. He was wrong about so many things. He was wrong about masks. Stands to reason if you don't want to you know, get this thing, if it was as bad as they're saying, a mask, a mask would be very helpful. But he said, a mask will very, do very little. It might make you feel better, but it will do nothing to stop. It might stop a droplet, but that's about it. And it's really just going to make you feel better. And it's really not something you should do in a pandemic. And, oh, by the way, if you do put a mask on, there are unattended consequences of, you know, touching your face and, and touching your eyes. So you really should not wear a mask. Three weeks later, you must wear a mask. It was, a, it was the law of the land. You must wear a mask. This guy is so unbelievably taken with himself and uh, can't be gone soon enough. You know, oh, let's, oh, let's, what else did he say? He didn't want to give Trump credit for the vaccine. Oh, a lot of people were working on the vaccine. Who was the one that was yelling at everybody, corralling them, pushing the damn slow, lethargic bureaucracy that you cherish? Cut eight. Was it a mistake in so many states and so many localities uh, to see schools closed as long as they were? I think in some case, I, w- I don't want to use the word mistake, John, because if I do, it gets taken out of the context that you're asking me the question on. Stop for a second. Wow. The context that you, I don't want to say it because, well, why not? You're <laughs> Because it takes, was it a mistake or not? He, it is a mistake, but he doesn't want to, he just got through telling us how, non-political he is. Keep going with this, please. Uh, uh, Too high a price. Yeah, I would say that what we should realize and have realized that there will be deleterious collateral consequences when you do something like that. This idea that this virus doesn't afflict children is not so. It does. We've lost close to 1,500 kids so far. But but much less than the older population, obviously. Oh, of course. But you shouldn't discount that it does afflict children. So it isn't without consequences. If you go back, and I ask anybody to go back over the number of times that I've said we've got to do everything we can to keep the schools open, no one plays that clip. They always come back and say Fauci was responsible for closing schools. I had nothing to do. I mean, mean, let's get down to the facts. Deleterious collateral consequences. The language of a bureaucrat who's very skilled at keeping his uh, his fingerprints off things, right? And here he is. He was everywhere all the time, but saying nothing. You know why he said, you know why he uses a phraseology like that? Because the one time I had him on my show in January of 2020, I did. I should get the clip for you. I asked him a point blank question. Do we have to worry about this thing or not? And he said, no, (laughs) you don't have to worry about it. Now, that was in January of 2020. And behind the scenes, all kinds of red alarms are going off and they're freaking out and everything's. This is not something the American people need to be worried about. 
Well, if your life was about to be turned totally upside down, I may have... Oh, you have it already? Well, here it is. Greg Kelly interviewing Dr. Fauci, January, I believe, 27th or so of 2020. Go ahead. So, uh, manageable numbers. Um, bottom line, we don't have to worry about this one, right? Well, I, you know, obviously you need to take it seriously and do the kinds of things that the CDC and the Department of Homeland Security are doing. But this is not a major threat for the people in the United States, and this is not something that the citizens of the United States right now should be worried about. How about that? How about that? How about a how about a good, clean, you know, question, too? Hey, do we have to be worried about this thing or not? It's not a major threat, and this is not something the American people need to be worrying about. Uh, and you know what they were doing? Like, you know, you got to take it seriously. He said, well, what was happening? They were screening the passengers who came to America from Wuhan, from one city in China, Wuhan. And I remember asking him, and he said he had the number. I said, how many are we talking about here? 1,500 a day. It was a very small number. Manageable. That's what manageable numbers. Man, that's what I was getting at. Man, okay, manageable numbers. So did you hear what he said also in the ABC interview? 1,500 children died of COVID. 1,500. Now, I hate to say this, but a lot of these kids probably would have died anyway. You know, they had leukemia. They had, what do they call, comorbidities. And these were not healthy children to begin with. Incredibly rare. Now, what did we do by shutting down the schools? We, I mean, we put intellectual development on hold for two bloody years. You heard about those ACT scores down 30% or 30 points or something crazy? Ah, so much damage. This guy, in so many ways, was a merchant of death. Oh, yes, he was. And never forget this. He denied it. They pretend it's a conspiracy theory. It absolutely happened. The National Institute of Health sent money for gain-of-function research to Wuhan via a subsidiary. We did that. We, America, funded the research And Dr. Fauci signed off on it. He signed off on it. And he's been doing everything he can since then to confuse, to deny. What do you you say when you're accused? uh, Deny everything, admit nothing, make counter accusations. That's what bureaucrats do. And that's what he's doing. Um, Hey, you know, more people are voting in Georgia than ever before in the primaries. You know, so much for that uh, Jim Crow, Jim Eagle thing. Uh, People find that it's just a bit more secure. And this guy is great, Mark Robinson, North Carolina Lieutenant Governor. Listen to him call out Stacey Abrams, who it looks like is going to lose in her second bid for governor of Georgia. And will she finally go away? Anyway, I love this guy. Cut 11, please. Mark Robinson, he's the Lieutenant Governor of North Carolina. This stuff is ridiculous. To suggest that the people who survived the Middle Passage uh, survived uh, the, the, the horrors of slavery and then survived Jim Crow, now have reached a point where they can't go down to the DMV to get a free ID to secure their votes. Not only insulting, it's ridiculous. And uh, we've got to push back against that narrative. It's just, it's a false narrative meant to continue this propagation that black folks are victims and that they need the Democratic Party to supply them with what, uh, for everything that they need. That's a falsehood. We know it's not true. And we've got to push back against that narrative. All right. I love it. I love it. Totally, totally, totally right. Sam in Queens, what's going on? 
Hey, Greg, nice show. Um, I want to touch back on the um, Moynihan letter. Yeah. And that uh, caller who followed up with the uh, saying that they started with the Irish. He's not too far. He's not far from the mark because uh, I just read a book from uh, Thomas Sowell, which is very, very amazing. I think everybody should read this book, Black uh, Rednecks and White Liberals. And in the first chapter, he's actually explaining how uh, the culture of the Irish was kind of like, you know, uh, barbaric. Uh, they were drunkards. They um, um, uh, left their wives. They were abusive. They didn't want to work. Jeez, wait a second. All right. All right. Well, I know he says all this stuff in the book, but he's painting with a broad brush. I know, I know, I know. But look, look, dude, I, dude you're not I saying, I mean, I know, but. It's interesting, you know what I mean? Like, you know, here now it's 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 me. It's like it's it's uh, we got to be a little bit careful because obviously there are uh, major exceptions, and I think these guys are the exceptions, not the rule. But keep going, keep going. I get it. Yeah. What's up? No, it's just that, that that the culture seems to hand it down from one to the next, and sometimes transgress to another. Uh, that uh, that the uh, the ones who came from certain uh, aspects of society, from uh, the Great Britain, who weren't as uh, sophisticated or weren't as educated, were the ones that would settle down in the United States and would pick up like they they were the ones that uh, developed the bad um, stereotypes. I would say this is not a blanket thing, but it's just something that with certain groups that there are that those are uneducated and um, that don't don't. Don't, don't really value, um, um, don't value uh, value of, like life or value. Well, of, Sam, uh, but Sam, I mean, I I haven't read the book yet, but I'm familiar with the scholar. I hope he get put in there. That uh, you know, what do we do? We got here. We may not have been uh, the best and the brightest, but we worked our asses off. John F. Kennedy became president of the United States in uh, 1960, and I think at that point the Irish were right on par with everybody else, if not even a little bit ahead. What's this guy's name? Thomas Sowell. Is that S O W E L L? E L L. Yeah, but he, but I tell you, he explains it better than I than I just did. You know, and the point is that uh, that the northern uh, blacks in America were much b- uh, better educated, much well off than the southern blacks, and when they migrated to the north, you know, things got a little a little bit more difficult. But it's the way they the way he writes and explains it is very very clear. I mean, he's a good writer. No, know? hey, you you're a good speaker. I just like some of the no, statements. I no, I, it's just it's like to hear it like put so bluntly. I'm like whoa whoa whoa. Uh, all right, Sam. Hey, I'm Latin and I have I'm Latin and, and there's there's pluses and minuses in everybody, you know, in every group. You know, I yeah. just uh, apologize that it came out like that, but that's not what uh, that's not the point of, of the of the book. And it's just uh, that's one chapter, and it and it just leads into um, white whites and blacks, and you know how they develop and how they became that way, and um, in certain areas of the South. All right, South dude, I'm going to read really... the book. I, what's the name of the title again, please? Uh, it's it's uh, Black Rednecks and White Liberals. All right, I'm going to check it out. And by the way, I've been reading a hell of a lot more. I am never watching a dumb show again. I decided on Friday night. I watched three episodes of Suits. Three episodes of Suits. I went to bed at 1230 with my wife. I mean, every episode is the same. It's all addicting and fun, but it gets me absolutely nowhere. I have no idea what's going on in that show. I mean, you kind you get the vibe, but it's a waste of time. I'm not going to watch these people achieve things while I just sit there and eat crummy food. Uh, so next Friday night, uh, I'm actually, I know it sounds, uh, doesn't sound like the most fun in the world, but I'm going to read that book, Sam, and I am uh, not going to be watching TV. Can I do one more? Can I, I got I get, she's been on hold for a long time. Irene in Bridgeport. Yes. Hey, Greg, how are you? Good. Good. Listen, I wanted to ask you guys, you've got to, um, get the word out about watching 2,000 Mules. 
What are you talking about? Get the word out. I've had Dinesh D'Souza on the show. I tweeted about it. I watched it. I tweeted about it again. I've been yelling my head off about 2,000 mules. Now, the movie did come out about uh, three months ago. So, you know, it's only it's it's, it's on, only it on this weekend. OAN was playing it. Well, I, I'm sure they were. But, you know, you can you can you could have streamed it. You could have bought it. There's a million ways to watch that movie. Uh, I watched it. I had Dinesh D'Souza on the show. And even Dinesh D'Souza will tell you, at the end of the day, it's it's a movie. You know, it's a documentary. It's like moving the needle on this stuff is is harder than it's it's. There's more to it than making a movie. Um, but I like the movie very much. I think he did a good job. I have grave concerns about uh, the 2020 election. I know that some of the votes cast, definitely in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, were illegal, and. Um, you know, I'm wide open. I let me know. I want to know more. I want to have a commission. I want to, I want to get to the truth. So, uh, Irene, I mean, but that's about all I can do with this movie. Fair okay, enough. Okay, audience, listen. Go watch it. All right. All right. I mean, let's face right. it. A little bit of that movie is a little bit cheesy. Don't you, you think, think they? Don't you think they? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. But look, I give him huge, huge. Points and credit, I I really did enjoy it. I mean, there are portions of it. Look, I'm just nitpicking now, and I nitpick all movies, great movies, bad movies. I just saw The Godfather, and something got on my nerves about The Godfather. So it's no movie is perfect, and 2,000 Mules is not perfect, but it's very, very good, excellent. And yes, so let me say, Irene, you remind me, and I've said this before, everybody should go out and watch 2,000 Mules. Uh, you can go to Dinesh D'Souza's tell website, tell your friends, your watch it, write letters, too. If you see things in there that make you mad, the idea of picking up the phone and calling somebody ain't going to cut it. you got to write a letter. Irene, I thank you. 2,000 Mules. It is an important movie, and we should all watch it. And thank you again, Dinesh D'Souza, for making the movie and coming on my radio show to talk about it. Thanks, Irene, and I'll be back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, um, got me thinking about Daniel Patrick Moynihan. I met him several times. What a giant. What a great man. Daniel Patrick Moynihan. And um, uh, never be one like him again. Did not know that he was from Oklahoma, born in Oklahoma. He had a British kind of thing, uh, Irish kind of thing, uh, aristocratic kind of thing, but he was born dirt poor. And um, what else did he do? He was the ambassador to India for a while, and I think he was also ambassador to the United Nations. And I think along the way, he wrote some books, of course, but he was a very, very smart guy, very shrewd, and I think he was able to make money you know, with wise investing and that kind of thing. And they bought a great big farm upstate. Uh, great man, good to my family. And uh, I just, you know what he did, actually? He revolutionized, revolutionized. He renovated Pennsylvania Avenue. Pennsylvania Avenue was such a dump. You know, the area between the White House and the Capitol especially, just a bunch of uh, hookers and liquor stores and just broken down stuff. And then it was totally revitalized. They put the FBI building there. They put um, this amazing condominium complex and restaurant complex, and uh, he is the guy who made that happen. And um, it's one of the many things I appreciate about Daniel Patrick Moynihan. Today we've got our—we uh, don't have any Daniel Patrick Moynihans. Ooh, what's Andrew Cuomo doing? 
Is he harassing our Cindy Adams? No. Cindy called him up for an interview. And Andrew Cuomo, do we, do we want to know what he's saying? Or do we want to know what he's thinking? Oh, my God. It's already time. Um, uh, cut 49, and we'll go to break. What the hell is this all about? You know, and you have now an extreme politics, both in the Democratic Party and the Republican Party. This cancel culture, uh, the woke movement. Yeah, he doesn't like that stuff either. Go figure. Go figure. He's really sticking his neck out, huh? I'll be back. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. So the entire establishment is trying to accuse Donald Trump of anti-Semitism, which is ludicrous totally, totally ludicrous. There's nobody more friendly to the Jewish community and more friendly to Israel. You know, it's a strange thing. There are, um, I don't quite frankly get it, and I think that this is what he was getting at, that there are Jews in America who are not supportive of Israel, who are not, what's the word, Zionists, which basically Israel has a right to exist. If you believe that, you're a Zionist, which is... um, I guess I'm a Zionist. I I believe Israel has a right to exist. (laughs) Absolutely. We need Israel. And however, in in the far left that's ruling the Democrat Party right now, you're in big trouble if you say that, if you think that. And I think Trump was trying to say that Jews in America. I want to find the, let me favor, the, the truth social thing that Trump put out. Trump truth social has get has them upset. Now, he said this before, by the way. He has called out American Jews for their lack of support of Israel before. And by the way, their lack of support for him. I mean, there's nobody uh, more pro-Israel, no American president. I mean, goodness gracious, uh, in many ways, Obama was damn near anti-Semitic. I am sorry, but he had, there's something deep within that man. He's not not fond of the Jewish state. I'll leave it at that for now, but there's something really strange going on there. All right, this is Donald Trump on Truth Social. No president has done more for Israel than I have. True. Somewhat surprisingly, however, our wonderful evangelicals are far more appreciative of this than the people of the Jewish faith, especially those living in the United States. Those living in Israel, though, are a different story. Highest approval rating in the world could easily be prime minister. U.S. Jews have to get their act together and appreciate what they have in Israel before it is too late. Uh, I think he's talking about their political viewpoints, and he's not wrong. There is a—he's on to something. You know, my my wife happens to be Jewish, and she told me she had never met a liberal Jew until she got to America. She never really—like, what the hell is this all about? And how can you be Jewish and not support Israel? Uh, It's— Read the New York Times and and get back to me. I I I I personally don't get it. Hey, did you see this smash and grab? Uh, there was a horrible smash and grab. Crime is out of control in New York, and that's why Zeldin. I think Zeldin is going to win this thing, and he has neutralized the abortion issue with this ad. All right, ready? Cut forty two, please. Cut forty two. Kathy Hochul knows the more you focus on her record, rising crime, pay-to-play corruption, higher cost of living, the less...
Celestial want her as governor, so she needs to change the subject. Her latest attempt, trying to deceive New Yorkers regarding abortion. Let me be clear. As governor, I will not change and could not change New York's abortion law. Hochul already knows that, yet she tried to deceive you anyhow, which tells you everything you'll ever need to know about Kathy Hochul. Thank you, Lee Zeldin. I think you're right, and I think it's going to be a spectacular victory for you. Don't believe the polls. Don't believe anything else. And by the way, the polls, interestingly, uh, about what issues are important to voters across the board, crime, inflation, and what did Democrats run on? Uh, January 6th and abortion, which are very, very low down the list as far as uh, voter uh, concerns. Michael in Rockaway Beach, yes. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I listened to the uh, interview with uh, Cuomo the other day with Cindy Adams, and uh, I think she was a little bit on a soft side with him. She could have nailed him down, especially about his comments on Joe Biden. She didn't mention anything about runaway inflation, the war on fossil fuels, the, the water disaster. I mean, listen, we love, uh, we, we, love, we love Cindy Adams. That's really not what she's all about. I mean, you know, look, she's the gossip columnist and she breaks hard news. Don't get me wrong. And she has made more New York post, uh, exclusives, I think than any reporter in the history of that newspaper. But at this stage, it's really kind of just a chit chat and it's very entertaining, but I don't think she's going to press him about all that stuff or maybe she would, but it didn't, uh, not, not up to snuff, huh? No, it wasn't. And, uh, all right, Michael. Well, relax. You know what, Michael? She's 90-something years old, all right? I mean, you know, it's a little slice of life and what he's up to. And, uh, you know, I I, I think it, there might have been an understanding between the two of them. But, uh, all right, thanks. And let me go to Paul in Rockland County. Paul, uh, what's up? Hey, Greg. I had We have two people here that took, uh, took a shot at Irish fathers, and I, I want to be someone that uh, come out positive for them. Uh, I don't think uh, it's really a problem, was ever a problem in the Irish community, the way they're explaining it. you got to remember there weren't that many divorces in the old days, especially for Irish Catholic people. Uh, they didn't get divorced. Uh, the Irish families I've known very close. Well, and me uh, too, clients. pal. I mean, me too. I mean, me too. I, and it, I mean, I, but I think there may have been a bit of a thing. And uh, the Irish curse, alcohol. I mean, it's bitten a lot of people. So, um, obviously, you know, I've, I've Irish families, black families, Latino families, Jewish families, there are a lot of great families. But if you look at the numbers sometimes, we can work on a few things here. We can work on a few things there. They were talking basically 100 years ago that the, the, the population was a bit more distressed than it is today. So uh, I can live with that. A lot of alcoholic fathers uh, stayed with the family. Uh, Paul, I, I, you know, I know. Yeah, of course. Of course. And, uh, you know, you look at even a great guy like uh, American hero, uh, Babe Ruth. He was given up by his parents. Uh, he grew up and uh, loved kids, loved his kids. So it's an individual thing. I don't think you can just hit Irish people with, with something like that or hit any group with any. It's an individual choice. Well, you start to make, you know, you start to look at anybody who walks in the room, you don't make any any judgment about that person. Ten people walk in the room. Fifty people walk in the room. A hundred people. A thousand. All right? You can't get any more than a thousand in the room. That's probably max capacity. But when I start looking at data, 
when I start looking at uh, you know census records, when I start looking at uh, causes of death, that's when I can. That's when you can connect the dots and see we well we we might have some troubling trends here. So let's fast forward to where we are today. We have some troubling trends. Um. Well, in many groups, but particularly nowhere else more than in the African-American community when it comes to violence and death. Are you okay with that observation, Paul? Um, I, I, I would leave that up to them to make that. I know. All right, Paul, I, I get it. You take everybody at face value, and that's a good way to be. And the same here. When they come into the room and they talk to you, I just went through it. But when you sit back and you look across the board— you can see we have a problem. And even people like Barack Obama acknowledged we had a problem. I believe that the Irish uh, may have had a problem way back. We don't anymore. We overcame it. And that's great. As a group, there are individuals who may still have that problem. I personally had a problem a few years ago. Uh, so, uh, but when I look at the, I'm looking at the CDC numbers, and I'll go into more detail on this tonight. It's kind of amazing that homicide is not even in the among the top 10 killers for white men. But it's number five for black men of all ages. It's number one for ages zero to 24, homicide. These are, these are troubling numbers. And uh, I'm not probably going to, I may look at that Sowell book. I love uh, my Irish heritage, but, you know, they came up with that phrase, the Irish goodbye. Have you ever heard of the Irish goodbye? You leave a party, you don't don't say goodbye. Yeah, yeah. Well, that came from something, okay? That came from something, and I think there might be something there, or at least there was. Uh, So, Mm. all right, Paul. Paul, I'll leave you alone now. Um, I got to go and talk to – no, I don't have to talk to her yet. I gotta, I gotta listen to Stacey Abrams because Stacey Abrams, I think her expiration date is fast approaching. Cut ten. Why do you think there's a perception of some disconnect between you and this very important voting group? I think it's a manufactured crisis designed to suppress turnout. A manufactured crisis to suppress turnout. Well, January sixth, but guess what? It didn't work. It did not work. Um, and I think turnout is going to be very, very high. Keep your eye on New York. In New York, folks, this is totally doable. I just saw another poll. Ten points. Ten points. It's closer than that. It is so much closer than that. And, Kathy, I'm sorry. You know, it, there's there's more to this than abortion and your hairdo and your clothes. Cut 41. I have three messages regarding the persistent assault on women's rights and a woman's right to determine and make her own decisions about her own body. And they are simple messages. Not here, not now, not ever. Oh, you go, girl. Give me a break. Give me a break. Listen, abortion, you got it. It's going to stay in New York. It's going to stay in places like New York, uh, California, Probably Louisiana, probably 35 states, okay? Knock yourself out, all right? It's fine. But you, you got a screw loose, lady. This ambition does not become you. Wow. 
It's uh, you, you have no judgment whatsoever. I don't think you have an ind- capable of independent thought, and that's why you're throwing these crooked deals all over the place. Uh, they're going to open the books on this stuff. And I guess it's right there. I got I to gotta roll up my own sleeves and take a good look. Let's go to Marie real quick in Forest Hills. Yes. It's Miriam. I'm Jewish, and I want to tell you I'm very supportive of Donald Trump. I think he's the best thing that happened to Israel. All right, time out, time out, time out, time out. Your name is— again. All right, wait. All right, all right sorry. Say it all again. You're, you're Jewish, and you're going to vote for Donald Trump, right? And I did before, and I hope I get that opportunity again. I'm 79. But the point is, he's very supportive of Israel, and I appreciate all the things he's done. So the fact that he's not good for Israel is a farce. That's not true. Isn't it kind of funny that these people on MSNBC are trying to uh, imply that Donald Trump is anti-Semitic when some exactly. of their coverage— His grandchildren are Jewish. Yes, I know. Orthodox Jewish, by the way. And now that I will vote for Lee Zeldin, but I wish they would tell the others that Lee Zeldin will not abolish abortion. He said so. Why do they keep harping on something you already said that you wasn't going to do? Well, it's a lie. Uh, <laughs> they're kind of married to it. Uh, it's it's kept them afloat so far, but I don't think it's going to get them across the finish line. I heard a pretty effective commercial today that came from some uh, political action committee, and. Um, that would be something else. Hey, you know, I happen to be married to a Jewish person, and she said she was, con- and she's from a foreign country, and she didn't meet anti-Israel Jews until she got to America. She never even conceived of such a thing. Do you ever meet uh, such people yourself, uh, Miriam? I, I, uh, conservative Jews are crazy. The more observant, although I'm conservative, are more pro-Trump. Some of these people are knee-jerk Democrats from Roosevelt time and will not change. Those who came later will think for themselves. And we'll do the right thing. And Donald Trump is the right thing. He sure is. Uh, well, thank you very much. Hey, do me a favor, real quick. Uh, Forest Hills, beautiful neighborhood, isn't it? Are you in one of those uh, Tudor houses? Tudor. I was not too far from where um, Curtis's kids live. Uh, she moved away, Melinda. I knew her since she was eight years old. I've met K- Curtis many times in the synagogue when he used to come down there for Kiddish. I think he's a fantastic guy. I voted yeah. for him, and I sell- sent him money, and I sent Lisa- Lee Zeldin money. Oh, good for you. Good for you. Money, money, money. It takes yeah. money. It really, well, good for you. got it all going on, and I do remember Melinda uh, moving uh, out of Forest Hills. But uh, all right, thanks, Mer- Miriam. You're the best, and give me a moment. I'll be right back. Greg Kelly, Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, you see the video of the woman being assaulted? She's being assaulted by a guy who was begging for money, you know, one of those panhandlers. She gives him some money, and the guy robs her. Stay away from those guys. Stay the hell away from those guys. I remember Ed Koch. I learned it from Ed Koch, and I also learned it myself. I saw... A couple of women give this kid, he was probably 14 or 15, asking for money for food. And uh, it was outside of a White Castle. So what they did was they bought him uh, a big uh, platter of uh, hamburgers and onion rings, and they gave it to him. And uh, after they left, he uh, got up and he just kept asking more people for money. Did not eat the food. Didn't touch it. I remember that very well, and I also remember Ed Koch, you know, talking about he was on Nightline, and I don't know why, but Ted Koppel was like, you know, talking about it's a good thing to give the homeless money, right? And he Ed Koch, you know, in his great way, was like, no, it's not. 
if you, you know, somebody told the story, well, I gave someone a dollar and I think I really helped him. No, you didn't. You know, you made yourself feel good and you're a schmuck. <laughs> you're a schmuck. If you gave him a buck, you were conned and you made yourself feel good. But no, Mm-mm. no, bad, 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 bad move. Uh, there are social services. Uh, they are all over the place. And uh, you're subsidizing that existence. You are subsidizing alcoholism and or drugs and uh, sleeping on the street if you do that. Hey, something else you got to be careful of. I am done with McDonald's. You know, it's one of my favorite restaurants. Uh, but I don't like the guys holding the door outside. It's very, very tense. You know, they hold the door open for you. They don't work there. Do- Dorman didn't start working at McDonald's. And it's like they want a tip. It's like the guy who works in the bathroom. That's bad enough. Uh, but at least he's authorized to be there, I think. Um, but the guy who holds the door for you at McDonald's. And too often, I'm just seeing weird stuff happen. Oh, including Bubba Wallace, the NASCAR driver. Everybody see him? He attacks some guy. And Bubba Wallace, remember that fake news? Uh Oh, somebody hung a noose in his garage. They didn't. Oh, by the way, it was just such a fake news story. Uh, But I remember Bubba had a big attitude about it, and he still has an attitude. He attacked a NASCAR driver, just went up and punched the guy. And you can't do that. Not in this. Well, a lot of people do it, but you shouldn't. Hudson in the Bronx. Hudson, huh? What a name. Hey, Greg. Hope all is well. Um. Just two quick things. I know you were talking about the early voting before. Um, I'm assuming that most of your audience is conservative. Uh, I would like to know how to early vote also. And I think if you put it out on air, I know you don't like people telling you what to do on your show, (laughs) which is funny. But um, if you tell everyone over air how to do the early voting, um, I bet you half your audience doesn't vote just because of inconvenience. Um, And then the last thing, real quick, is I know that Letitia James will never go after Kathy Hochul and all the crimes that she's committing. But what if someone brings a private lawsuit against the just to get it out in the news, even if it doesn't work? A private lawsuit against the governor? Uh, yeah, because, but, you know. Yeah, maybe a, a, a class action lawsuit that could work. Hey, I'd be glad to tell everybody how to early vote, but uh, I don't know how to early vote. <laughs> I have no intention yeah. of early voting. I'm going to show up the day of. I don't think it's inconvenient. I think you got to get out there the day of. I don't. I don't particularly trust early voting. I'm sorry. I don't want to early vote. I, I don't know, Hudson. No, I'm going to vote the day of the election. I don't trust it either, Greg, but the thing is that it's almost like we we got to start playing their game. Uh, you know, it's just we got to start playing their game. This election, like you say all the time, this is too important, this one, man. Lee Zeldin has to win. It's it's getting crazy in the city, man. Every time I go down there, it's out of control. Something has to change. So even if we have to play their game and we have to do the early voting, Whatever we have to do this round, I, I I think we should do it. So, you know, even if there's whatever, even if there's a half a dozen listeners that, that aren't going to go out and now they know how to early vote and we can get their vote, hey, that's, a, that's another that's another few that we got. All but, right. Uh, hey, look, I'm not going to discourage anybody from early voting, and uh, I, I personally don't know how to do it. My wife uh, said something. She wants to do it. She's going to do it. Uh, I want to show up. I, uh, you know, I, I'm all – I don't know if – Early voting gives us an advantage. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't. But Hudson, I'm with you. We got to win this thing, and uh, I'll, I'll try to brush up on that. I got to figure out the early voting uh, routine. What do you do in the Bronx, man? Uh, yeah, 
you know how it is. I can't say too much. I but, understand. Uh, I understand. My dad has always given me a hard time. It's like, you're always asking these callers personal questions. <laughs> they want to be anonymous. And uh, that's fine. All right, Hudson. Thank you very much. Listen, I got to go, right. but we will end today's show with a call from Carmine, our favorite Christian from Long Island. Hi, Carmine. Yes. I'll make it quick. I wanted to encourage you and let you remind you what God took you out of. Last night, a driver rammed into my neighbor's parked car. As we come out to hear the noise with the lights blasting and the horn going, I, he starts to walk away. And I said, where is he going? They said, I don't know. So I said, excuse me, sir, where are you going? And he starts to run. So I run after him, and it's dark. I don't know what's going on. I'm running after him, and I just said, stop running, stop running. He did not stop running. And I just did the only thing I could think, Greg. I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, stop running. I command you to stop running. Greg, the guy fell on his face. Face down on his face. He gets up, he turns at me, looks at me, turns the other way, and starts running again. And I said, maybe, he, I start saying in the worst Spanish I know, I said, in el nombre de Jesus Cristo, I command you to stop. Greg, the guy turns around, he starts crying, and he goes, please, my family, please. He was so drunk. Long story short, I said, you need help. Let us help you. We love you. Jesus loves you. And uh, the cops came, and they took him away. That's amazing, Carmine. Totally. Wow. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'll see you later. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network.